Welcome, I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN, joined by my guy, John Stargarian. You guys can follow him at MMA Fox, and we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 47, headlined by a middleweight scrap, back-to-back middleweight main events that we got actually coming up. Uh, but this one is between Sean Strickland and Jack Hermanson. I'm very much looking forward to this fight, and interested to see how Strickland deals with his first grapple-heavy threat up at a 185 pounds but we'll break that down for you guys a little bit later john feels like forever since we've hopped on with each other man how's it going brother yeah yeah not too bad not too bad i'm excited to get back into it it's, i was just saying to you before we came on here it's very weird that we had two straight weeks and then another break so I, i'm pumped to be in here i'm pumped to have a couple months of running us but yeah let's get into it absolutely yeah we had the three weekends off then we had two events back to back and then we got a weekend off and now we got eight straight uh coming up so i'm very excited for that as well um just quickly glossing over the car though is there anything that really sticks out to you in terms of a fight you're excited about from a fan's perspective before we start getting into the betting stuff yeah i mean i think the one that i'm probably i guess there's two fights because of my curiosity that i'm really interested in um even beyond betting at one is carlson harris and shavkat rachmanov you yeah. have two guys who are both two and oh in uh, rachmanov's case undefeated and i think we're gonna get as long as no one dies in the first 30 seconds we should have some <laughs> questions answered on that fight um, yeah. and then i'm interested in nick maximoff and puna soriano you know one of the big questions with soriano is can he grapple defensively and the big question of maximoff is can he overcome physicality disadvantages so i'm pretty excited to see what happens yeah, there are a couple uh, interesting spots, but that Shavkat versus Harris fight is the one that I'm very much excited about because we get to find out uh, a lot more about both of these guys. Hopefully, it goes at least seven and a half minutes yeah. so we can figure out what, what it's all about. Uh, I quickly want to... I've already seen a couple of the comments in there. I know I got the 76ers and I got the Raptors going on on the head, but like for those that I've been asking, I love the 76ers, especially this version of them. Uh, it reminds me of when I was a big, big M uh, NBA fan and my favorite player in the league was Allen motherfucking Iverson. So I got to rep the 76ers when I get a chance. I just got a, a fitted of theirs a couple weeks ago as well. But I thought I'd get the Raptors just to remind you guys that I'm still Raptors to, to the death and got to go with the championship. Are, are you allowed to be Canadian and not have your favorite basketball player be Vince Carter? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still reeling over when he left us for the Nets way back in the day, man. I, You, you know those moments when like you're like, I remember where I was when X happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember exactly where I was when I found out that Vince Carter got traded to the Nets. <laughs> that that will never leave me. I, I'm I'm sure I was like 11 years old, 12 years old when it happened, but I'll, that would never, ever leave me. Thankfully, I still have my guy, Allen Iverson, to cheer for, but still, that was for the 76ers. So I just wanted to wrap that all up for you guys as well before we continue on with the show. So uh, we got 13 fights. One did fall out. We had Phil Hawes had to fall out against Sam Alvey. And luckily for Sam Alvey, Brendan Allen uh, hops into the fight. And we are right back up to 13 fights. So let's kick it off with the first fight of the night. Uh, we got a flyweight belt. Uh, Malcolm Gordon welcomes Dennis Bondaire to the UFC. Uh, and we got obviously heavy chalk here on uh, the Ukrainian Bondaire, minus 280 for him, plus 225 to return on Malcolm Gordon. Um, 
again, when I when I can find a reason to cheer for a fellow Canadian, I will do it. I just can't do it here, unfortunately, man. I think <laughs> Dennis Bondair presents some uh, some issues for him. Uh, obviously, Malcolm Gordon. Uh, one thing that he struggled with is his durability, right? We didn't really get to see it uh, come into a, a play during his Francisco Figueiredo fight because as soon as they touched gloves, this guy shot for a takedown immediately. Wanted nothing to do with the hands of Figueiredo and was able to, you know, there were some very clunky moments from both guys in that fight, but luckily Gordon was able to get the upper hand and eventually take home the decision victory, but like he doesn't re react well to getting hit, even in that Figueredo fight. Uh, obviously, we saw him go down against Sumudarji, and then in the Amir Albazi fight, um, you know, uh, easy takedown from Albazi, and it looked like Gordon hits a sweep, but it seemed like more so that Albazi was trying to set up that triangle choke, which he did successfully, and obviously gets the tap that night here against Bondera. Bondera is a, a grapple heavy guy, sometimes a little bit overzealous and could leave himself uh, to be uh, reversed or get his back taken. But I feel as though with how easy the takedowns will come here for him against Gordon, he's going to want to take this fight to the ground immediately. And I think he'll be able to cut through his guard without much issues. Uh, Gordon, obviously black belt in jujitsu. So sure, he could have some success if this hits the ground. But I really think that Bondera will have that advantage from the top control. Uh, again, pass the half guard, pass the side control, get to full mount whatever it may be and then i think he should be able to find the finish there shortly thereafter but minus 280 again ufc debutant sketchy competition uh, especially on his come up in the regional scene i'm not sure what that company or that rule set is where they're fighting on that open mat type of thing and then they only get like a certain amount of time on the ground it seems like they stand up the fight as soon as there's any type of stalemate professional fighters union or whatever that shit is yeah that was so <laughs> fucking sketchy like there's moments where they let them you know work on the ground for like 40 seconds then there's moments where they let them work for like 10 seconds it's it's weird as hell it didn't really help the style of Bondaire, right and that type of rule set especially that loss that he had to that kid i, I can't recall the kid's name but that was a, a way better striker and obviously that guy wanted to fight on the feet and that's where he was getting his work done um malcolm gordon again working with joseph altolini i'm not sure if he's really made those improvements in the striking game the way that people expected him to um but we'll see if he can showcase anything here against Bondaire because if he beats him anywhere sure it could be in a scramble or anything but it should have to be uh in the striking realm for him to have success my opinion i'm gonna go up on dare my favorite prop on it and i might actually sprinkle a little bit on it myself is Bondaire inside the distance at plus 100 again can't justify minus 280 at this time say what you want about malcolm gordon we saw how the francisco figueredo fight went he can still get his hand raised so let's not bet against him at chalk let's try to get that plus money on the inside the distance which i think is absolutely possible here for the debutant dennis Bondaire. now John, I know you got some strong feelings about my guy Malcolm Gordon, so please do hit us with it. I, I would say strongishly unstrong. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean Bonder's tape is weird, man. You know, first of all, like you just touched on it, that professional fighter, professional fighters even stuff. I don't even know if I can take like anything from it because just like you know, the dynamic between a ring to a cage is massive. But yeah. now we take away the ropes, and it's basically a ring with automatic stand-ups, and it's like. I don't know how much stock I can even put into that, to be honest. Um, and then you have the rest of his tape is really against a bunch of guys who are just like F-tier fighters. Like these guys are not going to be fighting, you know, ever anywhere near the UFC. They're not going to be fighting high regionals. And so I, it, it's kind of hard for me to get a good beat on Bonger. I do have some concerns with him. Generally, I think his striking is pretty wooden um I, I don't think you know I, I think there is room for him to improve and become like an average striker but at the moment 
you know, his head movement isn't really where it needs to be at this level. And he just doesn't really look comfortable uh, leading exchanges. And with that being the case, I don't think he's a skillful enough counterpuncher to really have extended success at this level. Uh, and then on the other side, you know, look, his wrestling looks, from a technical standpoint, his wrestling seems solid. You know, he has a good double leg. Uh, when he's in top position, you know, he postures very well. He throws good ground and pound. He does a pretty good job of passing and maintaining position. But again, you know, like I touched on, you know, the big concern for me is the guys that he's fighting are just so, so bad that we're not really seeing what happens. Like these guys, no one's going for an underhook or looking to create space. So it's like, what happens, you know, when someone does that? Uh, and, you know, the one guy he fought who is not a complete tomato can in an actual cage was Francis Jocks, who is seven and four, and he's yeah. lost like three fights in a row. And in that fight, you know, he won the fight, and he finished Jocks, but he also got his back taken in that fight, and he got taken down twice. Um, and the takedowns did not come very di- with much difficulty for Jocks. And, and to me, that's a pretty big concern because, like I said, you know, Jocks is the best fighter he's fought in an actual cage, but I don't think Jocks is anywhere near a UFC caliber fighter. And the fact that he was able to take his back presents some real concerns to me. Um, and on the other side, you have Malcolm Gordon, who candidly is not a UFC caliber fighter. Um, apologies to Canada, but you know the the, the, the reality. We got three is... other Canadians on this card, so it's all good. <laughs> and I'm betting one of them, so exactly. <laughs> so I, I do. I think it's a weird fight because I, I agree with you. The striking improvements that were kind of expected from Gordon just haven't materialized. Like I, I like the fact that he was willing to lead and pump a decent output on the feet against uh, Baby Fig. But with that said, it looked pretty ugly to be complete. To be completely honest, you know he's still very, very hittable. We know he's pretty fragile. I, I guess I give him a slight edge standing just because, like I said, I, I just don't think Vondar is particularly comfortable on the feet. Um, grappling is interesting. Like technically, I think Vondar looks like the better technical wrestler than Gordon. Um, I think he has the better top game than Gordon, and I think Gordon has a pretty weak bottom game. If we're being honest, I also had the same observation with regard to the Albazi fight where, you know, it did look like he swept him, but then he managed to get that triangle in deep pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah. So that's somewhat questionable. I I guess for me though, the big concern here is it's just like Gordon is going to be the same size as Bonder. He hasn't fought many guys that are his size. He's probably stronger than most of the guys Bonder has been fighting. And we know Malcolm Gordon is going to try to attempt takedowns, you know, whether he gets them or not is a question. We don't know much about Bonder's takedown defense. The only real data is the Jocks fight where he was taken down a couple of times. And then the Alexander Lungar fight, which was in one of those professional fighters union, you know, fights. And he was taken down and controlled in that fight quite a bit. Um, and so I guess that's my question. I think if Bondar can get the top position here, he has a good chance to control Gordon and finish him on the mat. Uh, you know, Gordon, the reality is Gordon is remarkably fragile. He's very, very easy to hit. Uh, and he tends to, I don't even know, you know, it's kind of one of those classic guys where it's like, I don't even know if it's a durability thing or he gets hit and he just doesn't like it and wants out right away. I mean, that Sumadurji fight was bizarre. Uh, and so, like, I, I yeah. think him getting finished on the mat by Fondar is pretty in play. But on the other side of things, I also kind of think if Gordon gets the top position, he could do some real work here. Uh, and that and that's kind of, you know, for me, where I think this money line might be a little off. Um, I look at it and I'm like, I know you know, Malcolm Gordon has better jujitsu than Francis Jocks, who got his back. And so I know Malcolm Gordon is going to attempt takedowns. And I know Malcolm Gordon has fought much better competition in general than Dennis Fondar has. And so I'm kind of, I have moderate interest. I haven't decided if I'm going to bet it yet. I'm watching the line. It's still climbing. Uh, Gordon gets out to that plus 250 range. I might take a stab. Um, in terms of, you know, 
a prop for the fight, it, it's kind of tough. Like, I don't hate the Bondar I The thing is, the Bondar ITD is a minus number, so I don't love that. Yeah. I, I kind of like Gordon by submission in terms of pure value dart stab because it's up at, like, plus 700, which I think might – and I think he could get a decent position here. But I guess, you know, what I'd recommend is just I, I'd almost prefer just fight doesn't go the distance. Um, it's minus 160 on some books. It looks like that line's actually coming in a bit. Uh, Gordon is very fragile. He can be finished everywhere. He's not great on the mat himself. Bondar gives up position on the mat fairly easily. And these guys are both sloppy with not a lot of defense on the feet. So I think it's a pretty good recipe for the fight finishing. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I'm hoping Bondar inside the distance. Again, I'm still considering it. Again, once it hits that minus line, I'm... Uh, I'm not as enthused about taking it as well. So, all right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got a, a welterweight scrap between Jason Witt and Philip Rowe. Uh, a ton of line movement on this fight throughout fight week now. Uh, Philip Rowe, now since that minus 130, earlier in the week, he was closer to that minus 170 range. Plus 110 now is the return on Jason uh, Witt. Now, um, pretty meme-ish fight here, right? Like, it's <laughs> you got Jason Witt, who could absolutely control this fight if he's successful again, the takedowns, and controlling Philip Rowe on the ground. There there are some issues with Philip Rowe in terms of getting back to his feet at times. Uh, even with his long, lanky frame, he still kind of struggles off of his back at times. But on the feet, like, I, I don't mind his striking style. Like, he, he does use the range pretty well. It seems like, you know, even like the Leon Shabazian fight and um, the uh, uh, the Orion Kosi fight, he does a good job in terms of like trading from his distance uh, that that he's comfortable with, especially when the guys that he's fighting are start to slow down. Now, I could see this where like Jason Witt's winning like ninety five percent of the fight. I forgot who tweeted. I wish I could give them a a shout out here, but they're like, I could see Jason Witt winning ninety five percent of this fight, and then he gets knocked the hell out by a soft jab from Philip Rowe, and that that's kind of what it what it could could be here, right? Uh, obviously, the grappling will be on the Jason Witt side, but once this fight is on the feet, I just don't know how comfortable he's going to be after getting hit as many times as I expect him to get hit by a guy like Philip Rowe. So uh, I kind of understand from a stylistical standpoint why the line is starting to come in on Jason Witt, but I'm still pretty firm on the Philip Rose side here in terms of thinking that I'll be able to find the finish here. I, I do think that, again, two, three, four takedowns, whatever it might be, I think we'll see at a certain point Philip Rose start to touch that chin of Jason Witt, and I think he's eventually going to go down. So um, Philip Rowe, Philip Rowe KO is kind of what I've uh, been leaning on as my prop for this fight, uh, and that's currently sitting at plus 165. Uh, there's always the club and sub possibility, so his, his inside the distance line is currently sitting at plus 110. Um, but yeah, I, I'm expecting volunteer from the Philip Rowe side, uh, and uh, I'm going to stick with him, even with the kind of moving against what I'm what I'm believing here again the the majority of the fight will likely be wits with him completing takedowns but I think as Philip Rose starts touching him up on the chin and not saying uh Jason Witt has as bad cardio as Orion Kosi or some of these other guys that Philip Rose has been able to beat but like we see anytime Witt gets hit on the chin it's not a good reaction and I feel like the the way that Philip Rose kind of just maintains that distance when he lets his strikes go will eventually allow him to find that kill shot and put Jason Witt down and knock him out so uh Rowe KO plus 165 is a prop that I like the most. How about yourself? Yeah, this is a weird fight. It's actually probably one of the more hilariously entertaining fights on this card, <laughs> if I'm being honest. You know, I'm pretty excited for it. I love Jason Witt fights. You know, I mean, the round three of that Brian Barbarina fight was just comedy, pure comedy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dude, I and, love and, when how he's trying to like go for his mouthpiece as he's getting punched in the face. Like, dog, we're not going to stop the fight for you to get your mouthpiece. Start fighting back. Dude, so bad. So bad. And like, I, I look at like this fight, it's like my view, I guess, is 
Witt wants this fight to be boring. That's what he wants. Witt wants to get inside, tie up Philip Rowe, put him on the mat and hold him there. Philip Rowe wants it to be a chaotic Jason Witt fight where Witt's sprinting all over the cage at him. Uh, the interesting thing to me is, you know, you mentioned Rowe using his distance, and I do think he uses it well when guys try to strike with him. I don't think when guys have tried to press him, though, he can give up inside position fairly easily. Like Ryan Cosey was able to close distance against him pretty easily once he got through the reach. And I kind of think, you know, it, it's kind of funny because it's like the real question is, Witt closes distance horribly, but like once he can get past the reach, you know, he's going to get row to the fence. So it's like, it's when a stoppable object moves, or a stoppable force <laughs> meets a movable object here. Um, like, I do think the early portion of this fight, unless Witt catches like a knee coming in, is going to probably favor Witt fairly significantly. You know, I think he's going to get inside on Roe. I actually think Witt's a pretty good wrestler. I think he's kind of underrated in general because of how fragile he is and how poor he is at closing distance. But when he gets in there, you know, he always looks pretty good. You know, you look at Barbarina, who – Barbarina, you know, he's easy to take down, but he's never been easy to control. And Witt did a great job the first 10 minutes there. The big problem is I think Roe – should be able to make Witt work enough that his cardio comes into question. And that's a problem because if the lazy shots start coming, he's going to get stuck at range. And I mean, you touched on it. I just don't trust Jason Witt for any length of time here at range. I, I really don't, you know, it's, he reacts so poorly to being hit. His chin is straight up in the air. He doesn't really have any idea how to move his head. And so Roe, who I actually think is a pretty reasonable boxer. I don't know. I kind of think Roe's a little underrated to be honest, but I think both of these guys are, I kind of think if Witt can't, you know, control him and it kind of float on top and the gas tank starts to go, Roe puts him out. So it's weird because you think about it from a prop perspective and it's like, well, Witt's ideal fight probably looks like a Witt decision and a Witt decision are like plus, you know, I'm seeing plus 250, plus 260. I don't think that's bad if that's the kind of way you skew. On the other side, you know, Roe, I, I don't disagree with you. You know, the row KO isn't bad either because or inside the distance, like plus 120. You know, I kind of think if you want to bet this fight, whichever side you side with, take Witt decision or take row KO. I'd be pretty surprised if Witt finished row. <laughs> I guess he can knock him out of space, but I don't think he's subbing him. So that's my view on it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> hopefully it plays out just as memeish as we've been breaking this down, but hopefully it's a uh, Phil KO uh, being the ticket that ends up cashing here. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Danilo Marquez going up against Jilton Almeida in a light heavyweight scrap in terms of odds. We are currently looking at minus 410 now for Jilton Almeida and plus 310 to return on Danilo Marquez. Now, John, you know me from ages now. I love fading Danilo Marquez. And more often than not, it doesn't play out. You know what I mean? I don't mind eating the chalk against this guy because I'm just not a big uh, big believer in what he brings to the table. But slowly, he continues to win me over. And I think people are kind of overreacting to the Kennedy and Zetchukul loss a little bit too harshly. You know what I mean? He controlled the first two, round, two rounds of that fight pretty easily. And then he seemed to give up the, the striking there to Kennedy and Zetchukul, who we've seen on multiple occasions now come back from being down in fights and finish guys later in fights. Does Jelton and Almeida have that? I'm not 100% sure, right? He goes out there and more often than not, he's finishing all of his opponents in the first or second round uh, because he just absolutely smashes them on the mat, right? He has decent jiu-jitsu, uh, has good takedowns, can get the guys to the ground and really smash them there. Uh, the one fight he actually entered the third round and went to a decision, he ended up losing, right, against yeah. Bruno Assis uh, way back in the day. Unfortunately, I don't have access to any of that footage or tape to see how that fight played out, but 
when you're just looking at the records and you're kind of tapo capping this, it doesn't look good that the one time that he's gone into the third round that he's actually lost. Now, I don't think he's going to be able to finish Danilo Marquez as easily as he's been able to finish his past opponents. If Almeida was a, a better striker than he is, you know, it, I'd be a little bit more impressed, I'd say. Uh, his striking is more so, for me, it's more flash than actual substance. It's like he throws big, heavy shots, no real combinations or anything like that. But for the most part, it seems like he throw those big, throws those big, heavy shots to eventually close the distance and drag his opponent to the ground. But that's where Danilo Marquez wants to work as well, right? He wants to get this fight into the grappling exchange. And if this fight does hit the mat and that's where it ends up playing out... There's no way Jilton Almeida looks minus 400. Just go back and watch the fucking Contender Series fight. Like, sure, he beat a Av, you know what I mean? He beat a Nasruddinov or whatever the guy's name is. But watch that fight, man. He's very over-aggressive in certain spots, uh, gives up positions, gets reversed. And although he ends up coming back and still winning that fight, you know, doing that against a guy like Danilo Marquez could prove to be, uh, you know, fatal for him in the spot. What I'm trying to actually see is, well, Danilo's obviously going to be the bigger fighter here. Could he be the ones that en ends up landing the takedown? Or does he jump on the back like Jill, um, like he did against Kennedy and Zetrigo and try to control the fight? Uh, Almeida is not a minus 400 worthy fighter, in my opinion, at this point in time. Sure, he should be the favorite given his youth advantage as well as his explosive advantage. But his striking in my opinion still needs a little bit of work not saying Danilo Marquez is a great striker in his own right but I expect this fight to hit the mat at a certain point that's how either fighter is going to find success in this and at that point I give Almeida a slight advantage so I took the shot on uh Danilo Marquez at plus 325 uh, I thought I think he's worth the odds at that price and uh, the one prop that's really sticking out to me I think he could win this fight by decision as well. Plus 800 is his decision line, and I'm going to be taking a shot on that as well because I do think that if he wins this fight, he's more than likely controlling Almeida on the ground. And as long as Almeida's cardio is not complete dog shit, again, it's something that we just are assuming based on the lack of data to back that up. Hopefully he can survive the 15 minutes, and hopefully Marquez can just ride him out for that 15-minute period. So couple of spots that I'm actually liking for this. Like I said, uh, Danilo Marquez, uh, Danilo Marquez by decision, plus 800. And even though over one and a half is currently sitting out uh, even money, I don't think it's going to be as easy for Almeida to finish uh, Danilo as it was for him to finish his past opponents. I will give him the credit for the Ildemar Alcantara fight, former UFC fighter there, but Ildemar obviously on the way down right now. And Danilo Marquez seems to be durable, man. He seems he seems like he can take a hit. The the Kennedy and Zetrugu fight again. Standing TKO never dropped once in that spot. Was just seemed to be overwhelmed by the by the 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 activity that was coming his way. And will Almeida have that type of uh output come the third round if he finds himself in a similar situation? I don't know. I'm not paying minus 400 to find out. So again, uh, Marquez, Marquez decision plus 800, take my money. What about you, John? Yeah, I actually bet Marquez this morning. Um, I am nice. also, you know, I, I look at this fight and, you know, you touched on it. You know, the one fight we've seen Almeida go to a decision. We haven't seen, but we know that he went to a decision and he lost to Bruno Assis. Assis is probably the best fighter he's fought. Maybe it was Nazardinov. I don't know. Unclear. We can't find the fight, which sucks because I'd like to know what happened in that fight. But what we do know is that Bruno Assis has been fighting at 185 pounds in the past and fought at 185 pounds at Contender Series. So we lost the decision to a smaller guy. Uh, the tape we have on Almeida is pretty much him just, you know, mollywopping bums for the most part. And then the Nazardino fight where he found himself on his back a couple times. He was an underdog going into that fight on Contenders. You know, I didn't think his striking looked 
particularly coherent. Um, maybe it's better than what I think it is because there's just not a lot of data on it. So I'm not ruling that out. But to me, I look at Almeida and I think people see a body. Look, the guy is jacked to the tits. Like that guy is as shredded as it gets. He's obviously an explosive athlete and he's finishing all these guys very early in fights. But here he's coming up and he's fighting Danilo Marquez, who has three fights in the UFC. He's two and one. Um, Marquez, I got to give him credit. You know, I was with you, Locke. You know, I bet Cadicia Bergamo up against Danilo Marquez, um, and I bet Kennedy against him, and I felt like I got very lucky in the Kennedy fight. And, you know, you're going to see people watch the Kennedy fight and say, Marquez is a bad gas tank. But, like, if you haven't done jiu-jitsu, you don't understand how fucking taxing it is to put a body lock on somebody. Now, on top of that, putting the fact that he backpacked him for five minutes in that fight, you know, and then grappled hard for the next five minutes as well. You know, I, I kind of forgive that. That is exhausting, especially for a dude who's 205 pounds, you know? Like, Marquez is a big dude doing stuff that guy. You don't see guys get backpacked in 205, you know? You just don't. Um, so I kind of forgive that a bit. You know, I saw Sean Orr mention this yesterday, but he fought a bunch of, you know, a bunch of the fights where his cardio is suspect regionally were on short notice for him, so I kind of forgive it. And what I will give him credit for, and this is where I kind of dismissed him coming into the UFC, He's a much better wrestler than I thought he was. You know, he gets in there. He gets in on that single leg very well. He sweeps the back foot out very well. And in top position, you know, while he is a back picker, he's done a pretty good job of controlling guys. You know, Kennedy is not an easy guy to control on the mat. He's easy to take down, but no one's really controlled him before Marquez did. And so I look at this fight, and I'm like, yes, are there striking concerns around Danilo Marquez? Yeah, there are. But, like, are you telling me? You know, he was able to close distance against Mike Rodriguez, and, like, is it possible Jonathan Almeida is a better striker than Mike Rodriguez? I suppose it's possible. I'd be pretty surprised, to be honest. Um, I'd be Honestly, I'd be surprised if he's a much better striker than Cadiz is. And so, like, I kind of think Marquez is going to probably get inside here, fairly, especially in a small cage, fairly easily. Um, I think he's pretty likely to get takedowns here. And, you know, we don't have a ton with Almeida on his back. You know, he packs stuff from there. But what happens when black belts who are submission artists get put on their back most of the time? They play guard. And I have no concerns about Marquez getting subbed from guard, to be completely honest with you. Now, with all that said, I'm not saying I favor Marquez outright. Uh, Almeida obviously has a lot of question marks. He could be a lot better than I'm giving him credit for. He's an excellent athlete. Um, and if it turns out he's a decent striker, he might just put Marquez out. But I don't really see how you can look at this fight and think, Almeida should be 80% implied based on what? Like, what? what is the data that says that the guy was an underdog on Contender Series? Like, come on! Like, what is going on, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, I, I like Marquez here. Uh, in terms of props, I think you nailed it. Look, I think if you have something like FanDuel that offers you like, the double chance play by, you know, submission or decision, I think that you probably are going to get that at plus 500, plus 600, and I think that's not bad because Marquez is not really much of a ground-and-pound guy, so I don't think a KO is very likely. Uh, but the decision, I think, is very interesting because if Marquez is smart, he's just going to consolidate half guard here and hold Almeida in place on the he's mat. He's a big and I, dude as well. He's going to have a big huge. advantage here. He is a big dude, and on top of that, you know, look, I know he's not, like, young, but he's been getting good working. You know, he's been working with yeah. me and Maya for a while now. You know, he's got good trading partners. Almeida, I don't know what he is. I I'm happy to take the shot at Marquez. I think plus 800 for decision is kind of crazy. Like, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that if these guys are going hard for 10 minutes, Almeida is not going to have the same amount of gas that fucking Kennedy did in round three. Like, Kennedy is a cardio freak. So, I, yeah, I like Marquez here. I like the decision. I think the line's crazy. 
I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got 10 more to go. We got Alexis Davis going up against Yulia Stoliarenko. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 240 for Davis and plus 195 the return on Stoliarenko. Now, um, interesting fight here uh, for Stoliarenko in terms of trying to save her job, essentially, right? I think if she comes out on the losing yeah. end, she'll likely get the boot from the UFC. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, whatever you got over there, John, is apparently coming through the mics, coming to the earphones, <laughs> coming over to me. But either way, yeah. um, I think that this is a great fight for Davis. Honestly, people can say what they want about her age. I believe she turned 37 now since her last fight. Uh, but still, she's having competitive fights with a lot of the women that she's going out there and competing against. And you can make a decent argument that she actually deserved to win that fight against Patty Kianzad, and, uh, which I find interesting, especially considering that fight took place on the feed for 99% of the 15 minutes, right? The only takedown attempt that came from Alexis Davis was... Uh, at the ending of the second round with like seven seconds left in that uh, round. And she never decided to go back to the takedown after that, which I found very interesting. Stoliarenko, I like to call her the Lithuanian Ronda Rousey, seven out of her nine wins via armbar. So that's probably her only path of victory here. But I feel like a, a tenured black belt like Alexis Davis should be ready uh, to defend that and ready to take full advantage of that. You know, whether Stoliarenko wants to overextend on those submission attempts and uh, Alexis Davis is able to reverse and get back into a proper position on top. And even if this fight remains a striking battle for 15 minutes, I absolutely uh, favor Alexis Davis here. Stoliarenko's technical aspects of her striking are nowhere to be found. It, like more often than not, when she's throwing her strikes, they all look off balance. And it seems like if you counter at all, you could just drop her at any point. Uh, and Davis, you know, even at 37 years old and 36 years old when she's competing, her striking game looks to be improving as well, right? That used to be the 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 shittiest part of her game. Pardon my French there, but like that used to be the the worst part of her game earlier in her career. But now we're seeing her go out there and having these solid performances, right? Uh, great fight IQ as well, especially in the uh, the Sabina Mazo fight. Came in as a plus one seventy dog and put an absolute veteran lesson on her that night. And then uh, the following fight as well with Pani Kanzad uh, again. Uh, it would have been nice to see her go for takedowns. It seemed like a, a path to victory that could have been easy for her, but I'm happy that at least we got to see her striking chops against a, a solid striker in that division in Panik Yanzad. So, uh, yeah, I think Davis absolutely wipes Stoliarenko here. One thing I will give Stoliarenko, she's quite durable, so I'd be surprised if Davis actually gets her out of there. So the, the prop that I'd actually be leaning with is uh, Davis by decision, which is at even money, but I think she's worth the juice, deuce, uh, even at this minus 245-ish uh, line that she's currently at, man. I, I don't think Stoliarenko is that good. And I think that this is the perfect spot for Davis to get her out of there. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like you might be on the Canadian side here as well. But please let me know what your thoughts on this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think Stoliarenko presents that many issues. You know, it's funny because, like, going into tape, I kind of had recalled her looking better against Julia Vila than she did because it was kind of a wild fight. But, like, when I watch her striking, it's just so – you know, she doesn't really throw in combination at all. You know, it doesn't, you know, she does throw off balance a lot, but, you know, nothing, her strikes land with decent impact, but she's not following them up with anything. And against someone like Davis, who's a massive volume striker, that's going to be a problem here. Um, the other thing I thought one of the big advantages Stoliarenko had, you know, when she decided to come down to 25 was that, you know, she was decent sized girl. The problem is that that advantage isn't really there here. You know, Alexis Davis spent most of her career at 135 pounds. Um, and the bottom line is this would be 
Davis's worst loss in like 12 years, something like yeah. that. <laughs> you know, it, it, is, it would be, I, I just look at it and I'm like, what, what does a Stolyarenko win look like? Probably, you know, maybe, you know, Davis gets too, gets bloodied up on the face and she squeaks a close, close decision that where she was probably losing minutes for most of it. Um, whereas on the other side, I think Davis is going to badly out volume her here. I'm pretty certain of that. Unless Davis just completely falls off a cliff. I, I think in the grappling, I think Stolyarenko presents, presides virtually no issues. You remember the Anna Kunitskaya fight with Stolyarenko? I oh, think yeah. if Stolyarenko tries to grapple meme them, city. <laughs> I think it looks a lot like that, though, where she's just going to get bodied. Um, and if she tries to pull guard here, like, Davis is just – Davis has much better jiu-jitsu. She has a much yeah. better top game. Um, I actually – so, yeah, I don't really – look, if you want to take the shot on Davis's age, okay, go ahead. But, like, I don't think Stolyarenko presents many issues. I actually – kind of think davis could finish her here to be honest um i i just i think the gap i think at some point we're going to see stoliarenko try to pull guard here and i think the gap on the mat is going to be wide like it's easy to forget but like once upon a time alexis davis you know finished amanda nunes she's finished a bunch of people on the mat in the past um she's finished better grapplers on the ground than stoliarenko I, I actually kind of like the plus 325 again to me this feels like a Okay, Alexis, you know, you've been going out there and having close fights with like good opponents. We're gonna give you one here, you know, can't keep you around. Uh, yeah, I think Davis cruises. I think a, if you want, take a small sprinkle on the Davis inside the distance. I kind of think that's not bad. Uh that that's why I'd rather just parlay Davis or even players yeah. straight than play a prop in this spot because I absolutely see where you're coming from with the potential finishing upside for the Alexis Davis side here. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on to the next fight. We got Mark Andre Barrio, another Canadian, going up against Chidi Njikawani. In terms of uh, uh, line here, we got minus one twenty on Barrio and plus one hundred the return on Njikawani. So I actually got in on Barrio uh, late last week uh, at that minus one thirty five ish line. I thought that line was going to get out of my hands. I thought it was going to get up to minus one seventy, minus one eighty, and then all of a sudden it gets down to a pick em price where I even reloaded on Mark Andre Barrio at minus one hundred five because I thought thought that line was absolutely insane i don't know again i might be blind i might be biased whatever the fuck it might be but i don't know how you can go into tape and come out of tape and think that chidi and jaquani is the side in this fight barrio is durable barrio does exactly what he needs to do to win and that in this case and in most fights is have his opponents on their back feet push them up against the cage and may not even go for takedowns but even just push them up against the cage and optically speaking, make it look good for the judges there, right? Uh, one thing that I found in terms of his difference between before he moved to Sanford MMA, which I believe was right before the uh, Oscar Pia Hota fight, uh, the difference is he, he still kind of fights similar, but the difference here is before he went to Sanford, he would just push these guys up against the cage with not much offense really, right? He would just try to control them and try to think that was enough to for him to win the rounds. But now you see him kind of pushing these guys up against the cage and then letting go at a certain time and letting combinations go, getting some damage off, and then getting that position back. That's what uh, he was able to do against Abu Azaitar in certain spots. He did it against Al Chalungi and Bula, keeping him on the warning track, staying cognizant of that big power that's coming his way. And something I found interesting on the uh, outside or the fallout of that Dolce fight is Dolce followed him down to Sanford MMA and actually trains with him now. So maybe he found something that he likes from that Sanford MMA crew that he wants to implement into his own game. But with Barrio, moves forward at all times. Very rarely do you ever see him take a back step. Sure, his striking and his technique could use a little bit of work still, but 
It is the easiest thing in the world to push Shidi and Jaquani to his back foot. There's certain times in Bellator fights that you see of his where he's the one kind of pushing his opponent up against the cage. And as soon as his opponent kind of just lands a strike off of the cage, Chidi starts moving backwards, starts moving backwards. And it's just comical seeing the quick flip from Chidi kind of pushing his opponent up against the cage and then him going to the complete other side of the cage and just allowing his opponent to push him up against the cage. And that's exactly what you see here. Barrio pushes forward, pushes his opponents back to the fence. Chidi and Jaquani more than likely uh, accepts that spot uh, more often in his fights. And I find it interesting because he's the Muay Thai guy here, right? But there's nothing that I really saw in his clinch game that makes me worried that Barrio is going to catch a knee up the middle or anything like that. The way Chidi gets his work done best, at least from my, what I've seen outside of the Mario Souza fight, which I'll touch on uh, very shortly here, uh, is when his opponents allow him to kind of kickbox at range. Uh, I believe it was uh, the Kato fight. I can't remember the guy's first name, the one that knocked out Joe Schilling. He just allowed him to play at that range, and Chidi was just able to get ahead on points and really outstrike him from that that's, uh, that that range, especially with his lankiness, right? Um, and then the Mario Souza fight. It seems like as soon as he dragged Souza to the ground, he either hurt him or found the groove that he needed to to get Sosa out of there, which is what he eventually did in that third round. But man, Barrio is durable. Barrio is tough. I think you'll be able to take a shot on the chin, which he'll probably eat a couple of them on the way in here. But I think he pushes him up against the cage and just absolutely wrecks him there, controls him. I don't know. I, I don't think he finishes him, but I think this looks like a classic Marc Andre Barrio fight. So uh, I'm already on the money line for Barrio, uh, but I don't mind his prop as well for a decision uh, to win that at plus 200. Excuse me. I like that as well. I'm going Barrio, Barrio decision. What about yourself? <clears throat> yeah, I'm pretty much in lockstep with you here, so I'll keep it relatively short. Uh, look, I think when you look at Chidi, it, it's like he does some things very well. You know, if you give Chidi an outside kickboxing match, he is very good at playing that game. Um, he's much better at Barrio, as than Barrio as a kickboxer. The problem is it's so easy to shut down what Chidi does, uh, which basically is just pressure it. Chidi backs right up to the fence, as you touched on, He's very easy to pressure, and he does not. Honestly, he has not reacted well to being bullied throughout his career. When guys have gotten in his face and really gotten physical with him, he has I, – I don't want to say he's quit, but he's wilted pretty hard. <clears throat> I mean, just like a perfect example here, Rafael Carvalho. Now, granted, Carvalho grappled more than I expect Barrio to, but Carvalho out-physicaling Chidi in the clinch. I mean, I, I'd i legit make Barrio minus 400 against Carvalho. Like, I think oh, he wow. would batter him. And Carvalho is, is horrible, man. I, I have, That guy won the Put some respect time. on the former Bellator chap there, bro. No one was fighting there. Like, there was like, I know, I know, I know. As soon as he fought Musashi, he's like, okay, never mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy's taking L's left and right since the, yeah. since Bellator got relatively good, you know? Um, I, I just think Barrio would cut through him i honestly think you know if Les barrio has a stroke before he goes into the octagon and decides <laughs> that he's not going to pressure and he's going to stand a yeah. distance i don't think he's going to have any issue getting cheating to defense uh look Chidi has good knees and got good elbows in there could he do some work early in this fight to him in there yeah i suppose he could but barrio is extremely durable i think he's going to be stronger in there uh he's got great cardio and even if he has a rocky round one, I kind of think it's only a matter of time until he takes over this fight. Look, there's a very specific archetype for what beats Marc-Andre Barrio. Um, either, well, it's pretty much can you jab and move. I mean, you look at, or yeah. can you can you beat him in the clinch? He lost to Sanchez and he lost to Jocko because he fought two guys who were better than him in the clinch. And both of those guys, were both those fights were very close, by the way. Um, and he lost to Jun Young Park because Park was able to just jab and move the entire fight. 
I don't think Chidi checks either of those boxes, to be honest here. And so I kind of just think, it, look, Chidi's going to have his back on the fence in 30 seconds. Like, that's that's what's going to happen here. Uh, now, maybe he can take a round off him with adding these yeah. in the clinch, but it's only going to be a matter of time, in my, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, I think Barrio is a great spot for him. I think he's a top 20 middleweight, to be honest. Uh, he's going to run up against a pretty an athletic ceiling at some point, but I don't think this is it. I like Barrio. I like decision. I'm with you here. Love it. I love it. Finally get Canada on the board as well with uh, Alexis Davis earlier as well. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, wow, uh, triple Canadian slot here. <laughs> you got another one. Uh, I don't know why I thought this one was on the main card, but we got Hakeem Dewadu going up against Mike Trezano uh, in terms of odds, minus 170 for Dewadu now and plus 150 to return on Trezano. Uh, Dewadu was actually, yeah, he was uh, closer to that minus 200-ish range uh, uh, late last week, but now obviously money coming in on Trezano. A close fight. You know, if you want to talk odds, like percentages, yeah. this is pretty much a 50-50 fight, which, you know, obviously you'd want to be betting on the Trezano side here. Uh, both guys, good strikers. Obviously, uh, Tiger Showman trained Mike Trezano. And then uh, with Hakeem Dewadu fighting out of Champions Creed in, in, in Calgary. But uh, both guys have extensive Muay Thai backgrounds. Uh, well, actually, I'd say uh, Hakeem has a little bit more of an extensive Muay Thai background. But both of these guys are pretty much strikers, right? Uh, you got Trezano, who's going to have a size advantage in this fight. And that could help him kind of just stay on the outside, maybe just land kicks and and try to out-volume Hakeem from that side or from that spot. But I feel like we'll see Hakeem actually be the one to attack the legs here and try to use that to close the distance and let his striking go. Um, but given how close I expect this fight to be, I just can't justify a bet on the on the Hakeem Dewadu side, which is why we start looking at props, right? There's a couple of things or a couple of ways that we can look uh, look at it. I do believe that this fight goes the full 15 minutes, minus 275 on the over two and a half. Seems a little chalky, but seems like a spot that is more than likely going to hit. Uh, fight goes to decision, minus 195, slightly better number for two and a half more minutes. Uh, but just take the decision prop on whichever fighter you think is going to win, right? That seems to be the way to go about it here. So Duwadu by uh, decision is currently sitting at plus 110. And then on the flip side for Trezano, you got about plus 300, which I think is obviously a little bit more value on that side. But I got to go with my guy, Amin Hakeem. I do think he ends up landing slightly more volume. And that's what it's going to come down to. Who lands more strikes? Who makes it look better for the judges? Uh I'm going to go with Duwadu. No bet for me there. Uh, plus one tear on the decision line. That's what I would bet if I'd bet anything. I'm just staying away from this one. I hope it's fun. What do you think about this one? Yeah, you know, Mike Trezano lives about 10 minutes down the road for me. So I really, really wanted to get on him here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's weird because I like Trezano and I've backed him a bunch in the past. I think he's a decent fighter. Um, he's a good boxer. He's got a decent right, a low kick. He's a decent grappler, uh, and you know, yeah, he's a he's a well-rounded fighter who's probably never going to threaten the top twenty-five, top twenty, top twenty-five, but he'll probably stick around in the UFC for eight or ten years, for like fifteen fights, just because. <clears throat> look, he <clears throat> he's going to beat lower-tier fighters, <clears throat> and he'll compete with guys at the bottom of the top twenty-five. But you know, he's pretty capped athletically and physically. Uh, and on the other side, you know, you have Dewodu, who I actually think is quite talented. You know, he's a very diverse striker. You know, he has. He just has a bunch of different attacks he can offer you. He's very difficult to hit. Uh, he fights pretty well off the back foot. He's decent in the clinch. The big problem for me with Dewodu is he fights with a style that judges just really don't like, you know, that tend to, you know, try to use feints and draw out your opponent's attack and punish it. And, and he doesn't have power on top of it, and he's not a very good grappler. So Dewodu's been to four split decisions in the UFC, um, which 
look, I don't think some of them should have been split decisions, but the reality is judges are seeing them that way. And that's something you have to bear in mind. And so I thought I might like Trezano, but just looking at it, you know, I look at this fight and I'm like, could Trezano like win a volume-based decision here or maybe have some grappling success here and there? Yeah, I suppose he can. But I kind of just think, you know, they're somewhat similar fighters and that neither of them keeps a super high pace. Uh, both of them tend to react to what their opponents are doing. And while I like Trezano's game, I think the Wodu is just a lot more diverse and a little better at reading angles and setting stuff up than Trezano is. Uh, and so ultimately, look, I think it's going to be a fairly close fight here. Um, I think you have to edge Akeem, though. It's the kind of fight where it could be a close fight that Akeem wins pretty consistently. Uh, and, you know, in terms of, you know, how you're going to play prop fights, I agree. Trezano's a pretty durable guy. You know, look, Ludovic Klein may be a fraud, but he does hit hard, and he never <laughs> really put Trezano in any danger at all. Uh, I kind of think I skewed Iwodu by decision. It's like plus 125. I actually, honestly, it's a big, fat number, but, I mean, goes the distance. If you have one of the books that offers offering minus 190 or minus 225, I think that's a pretty good line, to be honest. I'd be very, very surprised if this fight finished, to be honest with you. Yeah, I actually see it uh, play out pretty similarly to um, uh, the Dewadu the, the and uh, Arce fight, which is hilarious yeah. because Arce and Trezano are teammates as well, right? So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it plays out similarly to that. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a split win for Hakeem that night. And that was one that I didn't understand how it was a split, but it, but – you know the judges that's just like how it game. looks optically yeah, right? like it's yeah. a, to the judges sitting good cage side it's a close fucking fight both guys are landing the same amount of strikes all that like it's that's what I, exactly i see happen with this fight as yeah, well which same. is why i don't want my money anywhere near it all right yeah let's move on to the next fight here i believe it is the prelim headliner uh as long as topology has their uh order correct here we got miles johns going up against Whoa. john castaneda uh minus 180 now on miles johns he was actually up in that minus 250 range for a large part of last week uh and plus 155 is now the return on john castaneda now uh, i've seen it seems like mma twitter is all on john castaneda that just seems to be the spot there, right <laughs> i get it from an odds perspective but i still feel like miles johns is improving he's getting better uh especially with his striking right he mainly came into the ufc uh with the takedown heavy reliant game with some decent striking right a lot of power a lot of winging hooks a lot of blitz attacks and stuff but now his striking seems to be making improvements where he can start to hang with some of these guys but you know with that said i believe john castanet is the better technical striker in this spot he throws in combinations he has good leg kicks if i'm if i'm not mistaken he's a southpaw as well so that always brings some uh issues into fighters games but i think the the ace in the pocket here for johns has got to be the takedowns right i think at any point when he wants to he can initiate the takedown or even initiate a clinch i think he'll be the stronger guy in those situations and that's where he'll start to kind of pull away with this fight uh i don't mind the dog shot on castaneda especially in that plus 200 range but i still do think that johns ends up coming out with his hand raised in this spot um i like johns i like john's decision uh castaneda is quite durable i believe he's been finished once but that was years and years ago um but i do like johns here johns by decision plus 130 uh i don't mind it i actually haven't parlayed with uh, alexis davis myself for a one and a half unit spot there but uh yeah i like johns in this spot couldn't predict the line movement. I didn't think that Castaneda would get that much love from the uh, from the public, but uh, I don't hate it. Plus two hundred Castaneda. I don't hate it, but I still think Johns gets his hand raised in the spot. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I more or less agree with you. I think the problem for so it's funny because like I taped the Johns fight and I knew Castaneda was a left. It was a southpaw. 
And like my when I came out of tape, I'm like, man, I really, really think a good southpaw is going to give Johns quite a bit of problems just because I think John's best weapons being that jab and that low kick aren't really going to be as available against somebody at southpaw with really good footwork. Uh, so I was excited to take Castaneda. The problem is I just don't think Castaneda is very good. And that's really, you know, it, I don't like, could Castaneda come out much improved and win the blood position battle and jab and land his left a lot, I guess, but I'd be pretty surprised. He's been around for a while. It's not like he's a super young, like, you know, prospect here. Uh, look, the bottom line is what I'm looking for in someone that's going to beat John's either a very technical southpaw or a guy who keeps a pretty high pace. Cause I think John's pace can be questionable at times. And I just don't see Castaneda having either of those things. I think John's has a pace advantage. I think if Castaneda tries to wrestle him, John's is the better wrestler personally. Um, he's probably the better submission grappler if I'm being honest. Uh, and then at distance, it's like, look, like I said, I think there are holes that John's is going to have and have to deal with at some point when he fights somebody that can capitalize on them. But I just don't see Castaneda as that guy. You know, he's very wild when he comes to the pocket. He's going to be there to get hit. He tends to be low output. Um, you know, even though John's may not be able to damage the calf as much as, you know, he was able to with ADS and who was fighting Orthodox, he's still going to be able to land it. He's probably going to be able to land it pretty much at will here. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't want to say I don't think Castaneda can trouble him because I do think, you know, John's is, you know, probably a little overrated, but I also kind of think, everybody's looking to fade Johns now and they're getting behind the wrong guy. You know, this happened with Kevin Natividad a couple fights ago and I bet Johns when it came down to minus 140, I was like, are you guys crazy? Like, have you, have you watched Kevin Natividad fight? And I kind of think, I kind of feel similarly here. It's like, I, I am eager to fade Johns in the future, but you have to have a guy that, you know, can execute a game plan that can consistently win that fight. Uh, plus 200, I guess, but even that, I don't really love it. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really see it. I think Johns is probably going to win this fight pretty cleanly. But yeah, I like Johns' decision. I don't. I wouldn't lay Johns minus two hundred just because I don't think you know he doesn't have the volume of finishing upside for me to really trust that. But yeah, I mean, if you're interested, play Johns' decision. I think he's going to win this. Frankly, I hope he gets a finish here so that it actually can set up a decent fade for us on another <laughs> run. There you go. There you go. Uh, one thing I will say about him, uh, he, he is starting to, well, he has proved me around a couple of times now in terms of his cardio. I used to think that he had a pretty bad cardio uh, issue, uh, but now back-to-back -back third round finishes. If he doesn't um, wrestle, he looks uh, he look, it looks pretty good. Yeah, exactly. I, and I think that's where you see the striking improvements from him yeah. too, where he's more confident in his hands and know he doesn't have to rely on the wrestling too much. He might have to hear, so we'll see how uh, how that cardio holds up for him in the spot. All right, uh, that brings us to the main card and another opportunity for me to remind the 90 live viewers that we currently have. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below and then show my guy John some love as well. For his club and sub podcast, which usually goes down Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern. Link is in the description below. Make sure you guys go check that out and hit a subscribe for my boy. All right. Main card time. Kicking things off. We got Julian Rosa coming in at minus 310. Steven Peterson plus 245. Now, it's always interesting to see Julian Rosa in that minus 300 range because uh, some days his chin shows up, some days his chin doesn't show up, and that's where you're, you are you got to be concerned whether you want to be laying that type of chalk on him. But stylistically speaking, this seems like a great matchup for him to stick and move, use his range very well, use his kicks to stay on the outside, and just kind of use his awkward, you know, unorthodox types of uh, type of movements to uh, get his striking game going and pull away with this fight. Steven Pearson has some decent power in his hands, but it's not to a point where I'm like, oh my God, he's probably going to knock the fuck out of Julian Rosa here. But again, 
Will Junior Rosa's chin show up with him when he walks up to the cages this Saturday night? That remains to be seen, and that's the main question in this spot. I, I feel good about a Rosa in this spot. Like I said, great stylistic matchup for him. You know, even on the ground, if he wants to drag it to the ground, it's it's not too bad of a spot for him. But the one fight that I keep going back to is the the Caceres and Peterson fight, which I feel is a good blueprint for Julian Rosa to follow. Even though he'll likely be on his back foot for the majority of this fight, if he can stick that jab out enough and throw a couple combinations, he should start to get ahead on the judges' scorecards, just like Alex Caceres was able to do in that fight. So uh, I, I'm a I'm a fan of Ocho, right? I, I like his style. Another Fortis MMA guy, uh, obviously coming in there with Miles Johns. But metrics matter in this fight, in my opinion. I think that advantage in the height and reach that uh, Rosa will have. Again, I thought it'd be a little bit more pronounced. I think it's only three or four inches on either side there. Uh, but still, I think it will be pronounced once they, once they actually step inside the cage and we see Rosa start touching him up from the outside. But I don't want to touch that. Uh, I don't want to touch that money line. Thank God we do this prop show. Uh, and that's where I started leading with uh, Rosa by decision at plus 150. Not too bad of a spot. I think he, if he stays safe, if he stays on the outside, this is his fight to win over 15 minutes. And I think he, that's how he gets it done. How about your side? Yeah, I, I guess for me, I, you know, coming into it, I, I kind of was intrigued by the Peterson line just because, you know, if I was to design a fighter in a lab to beat Julian Rosa, it would be someone that's very aggressive, has good cardio, and is very durable. Uh, but Peterson is those things, and he can wrestle a little bit, and Arosa can be taken down. The problem is, though, the more you dive into it, it's just like, you know, the reality is I like Peterson, too. He seems cool. He's fun to watch. He very rarely has boring fights. He's a punching bag on the feet, though. He's so easy yeah. to hit. Even his grappling, you know, yes, he'll land takedowns, but he doesn't do the best job of maintaining position. He's fairly easy to you know, outscramble. Like, you know, I kind of, you talked about the Caceres fight, and that's one that was a close fight. Peterson made that a, a grimy fight. Um, but the other side of that, you also had the Luis Pena fight, which was not a very close fight. And Julian Arosa is, in my opinion, significantly better than Luis Pena. Uh, I think even if he gets taken down, he should be able to scramble to safety fairly easily here. Is the Peterson knockout live? Look, it's Juicy J. He fights with his hands down and his chin straight in the air. The knockout's always live. But the reality is he's a superior fighter when it comes to pure skills. Uh, what I actually, though, and so I expect him to win this fight pretty clean yeah peterson can knock him out i suppose you could draw up a scenario where peterson lands six to eight takedowns or something like the Sarah's fight but i have trouble seeing it <clears throat> what i really like here though you know is the inside ends inside the distance and the under uh you know people are going to talk about peterson's durability and the fact that he hasn't been finished and he hasn't and he looks durable the reality is though He's never fought something in his career as dangerous as Arosa is. You know, the fact that Caceres doesn't hit as hard or throw as many attritional strikes. Uh, Luis Pena certainly doesn't either. And on top of being very dangerous on the feet, you know, Arosa is extraordinarily dangerous on the ground. Um, you combine that with the fact that, you know, Arosa has a penchant for getting knocked out against Ed Peterson is going to push a pace. We're going to get two guys, one of whom is a prolific finisher who also can be finished, and they're going to be fighting at an extraordinarily high pace. And I'm going to get that under at a plus number. <coughs> I like under, and I like doesn't go the distance. All right, all right. A little bit of uh, head to head there, but again, it's not like something I'm going to be betting on as well because I'm going to stay away from this fight. All right, <coughs> let's move on to the next one. We got the tough 29 uh, f finale here, pretty much. Uh, they should whip out the trophy one more time and see who actually uh, deserves it. Uh, we got Trishan Gore coming in at minus 160, and the actual winner of the Ultimate Fighter Season 29, Brian Battle, coming in at plus 140. 
Um, it was roughly a pick em with uh, Trishan Gore as a small favorite early on when this line did drop. But now uh, it seems like more money coming in on him. And I don't really understand it myself. Um, Trishan Gore just watching his tape. Uh, you know, fast hands, uh, explosive, has some decent power, has a good head kick. Trains out of American top team in Georgia under the Lima brothers, Douglas and Diego, that is. Uh, but it seems like his bread and butter is his striking. He likes to stay on the outside, uh, try to get his striking going, use the faster uh, hands, use the speed to his advantage, which more than likely he's going to have in this fight against Brian Battle. On the flip side, I think Brian Battle is just the overall better fighter, though, right? And the guy looks in fucking ridiculous shape now, too, compared to what we saw in, excuse me, on the Ultimate Fighter. But sure, Gore, better striker, but Battle's quite durable. And not to mention the level of competition he's been going up against since the amateur days is amazing uh especially again to be going up against guys like cody brundage and impa kasangana on the amateur scene before even making it pro uh is solid amount of experience for a guy in brian battle uh more often than not he does end up kind of like falling behind early in fights but manages to claw back and either finish his opponents or win a decision uh and i think that could happen here if it, if his durability holds up which i believe it will i think he eventually starts drowning trishan gore uh there's a fight on trishan's record against a guy named lj jones who was apparently the shit on in the nfc according to my guy dan levy and uh was having some solid success on top of trishan gore there you know gore didn't look like he had much to offer off of his back and obviously we want to leave room for him improvement especially from a younger fighter like Trishan Gore so I'm not saying he's just going to be a, a fish off his back this weekend but that just is not a good look and I would have loved to see that fight play all, over 15 minutes unfortunately as soon as uh, the first round ended um, ended uh, LJ Jones gets back to his feet and his MCL or ACL is completely gone it falls on his knee just looks really bad and they call off the fight Trishan Gore gets uh, carried around the cage like he just knocked his ass out which was uh, very frustrating for me to watch as a viewer but is what it is uh again gore looks like a great striker his speed is obviously going to be his advantage here but i think that battle will get through that i think he'll be able to drag this fight to the ground and i think he can actually finish Rashawn gore the later that this fight goes so uh i like i like uh battle um as an underdog i think it's a solid line at plus 140 i got in today at plus 145 uh but in terms of a actual prop here battle inside the distance at plus 330 not too bad of a line man i think he actually finishes uh trishan gore in the second or third round here uh either with ground and pound or submission i would rather just play it safe and take the inside the distance at plus 330 how do you feel about this one yeah battle's probably my most confident take in the card to be honest um and i'm not betting him like big or anything but like you know it, it's funny because i didn't watch the ultimate fighter and then when you know, I was seeing on Twitter, everybody's like, oh, you know, Treshawn Gore, you know, this guy's the truth. He's going to win it. And so, like, I was expecting to like Gore coming in because, like, I, you know, I'm familiar with battle. I knew he had, you know, he has some defensive issues for sure. But, man, taping Gore, I, I don't really – look, he got, look, he hits hard, he's relatively fast, and he throws decent leg kicks. Um, but other than that, I don't really see what he does very well. Uh, you know, you look at his career – Loses a split to Robert Hale as an amateur. His first fight in, you know, professional fight to a guy who's now 0-3, barely squeaks a split against Prince Ellerby. To your point, the LJ David Jones fight. That fight, he he was starting to get the shit kicked out of him at the end of that round, and then Jones' knee came out. Um, and so he has three fights <laughs> professionally. Then he comes to Puff. He fights Ryder Newman in the first fight, and Newman just does nothing. Yeah. Really, just like kind of stays back. <laughs> was like literally just looked terrified the entire fight. Um, too terrified to engage and so it's like i don't want to 
give him shit for that. It's not his fault that Newman just didn't, wouldn't engage him. But at the same time, I can't take that much from it. And then he has this fight with Gilbert Urbina, and Urbina just sprinted at the same right-hand counter three or four times in a row and just kept getting dropped by it. You know, um, look, he hits hard, but I've seen this guy struggle with pretty poor fighters, struggle to beat pretty poor fighters. Plus, he has three fights. He has virtually no experience, on top of which he's very, very low output. Um, and, you know, what's even more interesting to me, you know, he had his first amateur fight in 2014. So this guy is not, like, new to MMA. You know, he's been around, I have to assume, training, but it doesn't look like he's made very many improvements. And now he's fighting Brian Battle, a guy who has, I believe, across the amateur and professional, you know, 20 fights, you know, seven professionally. Um, he beat, as you touched on, Brundage and Impa regionally. You know, someone in the chat, I think Brandon touched on it. He lost a split to Billy Elicano, who people are going to know about. Elicano is actually pretty solid as well. And now, you know, you look from a stylistic perspective, Look, Battle has big issues defensively. There is no question. He can be cracked in the pocket. Like, there is no question about that. And if he gets melted here in the first round by Gore, will I be stunned? No, not really. It could definitely happen. But Battle also is pretty big. He's pretty long. And he fight. He has a fucking motor on him. Like, the guy is super, super, super busy. And he stays busy. Um, Gore, on the other hand, is not busy at all. I don't really think Gore does a great job of closing of closing distance, and I actually do think Battle does a decent job of moving in the cage. Uh, and in terms of the grappling, look, there's very limited grappling footage on Gore. The one fight is the LJ Davis fight where he took Davis's back and then lost position and looked pretty bad off his back. And I didn't really like how loose he was when he took Davis's back, to be honest. Uh, so some of the, a lot of this is guesswork, but I have a feeling Gore isn't really much of a grappler. And I think Battle actually is a pretty decent grappler. You know, you look at the fight with Petrovsky. Yes, Petrovsky was getting him down. Petrovsky's an excellent wrestler. Yeah. And Battle looked pretty confident. I kind of think people saw the Urbina fight and saw him kind of like slip into mount early in that fight. And everybody's like, oh, Battle sucks. And it's like, not really, actually. Battle actually has shown like a pretty strong competency as a grappler. Um, yeah, I, I guess I think the line should be flipped. I think Battle has a set of skills in his output cardio and grappling that translate well to the UFC at 185. Whereas outside of leg kicks, I don't think Gore has anything that really translates to the UFC. Plus we have the experience side of the battle. Um, I think what I like here, I like the battle decision because I don't think he's a big hitter. And I think whether or not he finishes is going to depend on how proactive a wrestler he is in this fight. Uh, plus 400 for decision. I like that decent bit. All right. All right. Uh, talk about one of the best, like last name matchups we've ever had battle versus Gore. Like, <laughs> that sounds like a, a boxing match from like a Simpsons episode or some shit. Like, I, I love it. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got short notice Brendan Allen stepping in to fight Sam Alvey here. Now this fight is actually taking place at 205 pounds and you betcha Brendan Allen at chalk here at minus 435 return on Sam Alvey at plus 330. Now, um, I did my Phil Hawes breakdown, obviously, before the, the Hawes fight pulled out. And well, one of the interesting things I found about Sam Alvey during his seven-fight run that he's on right now, where he's 0-6-1, the one thing that we can kind of still rely on him for is his takedown defense and his ability to get back to his feet. That's why I was actually picking Alvey to knock out Phil Hawes, as I did expect Phil, who was just coming back from a knockout loss of his own, to try to proactively grapple in that fight unsuccessfully, and then he'll eventually get knocked out by uh, Sam as the cardio start to wear on him but brandon allen right it, it used to be his advantage used to be getting the fight to the ground and trying to wrap up submissions but now 
you know, he is getting more comfortable in the striking range. Sure, he got knocked out by Chris Curtis, but he Curtis is a way more refined striker than when Sam Alvey brings to the table. I could see either Brendan Allen win this fight up against the cage or staying at distance similar to the Punahali Soriano fight and kind of just rip kicks to the body, stay on the outside, use the length, use the range, and just, you know, stick and move as best as possible. But then there comes the questions, right? Like, how ready was he to actually take this fight? You know, sometimes when guys take a short notice fight, they go down to the division that the fight is actually supposed to be at but this one's actually going up at 205 pounds um sure there's a massive skill discrepancy here in favor of brendan allen in my opinion and i think his ability if he decides to stay safe and not chase takedowns uh which could possibly you know gas him out a little bit here because again say what you want about alvi's run man the guy still looks to work to get back to his feet almost every single time not often a lot of guys have success with keeping him down and then even his takedown defense holds up pretty well uh, if allen goes out there and tries to grapple him heavily here and is unsuccessful with it, who knows how ready he is to go another 13, 12, 11 minutes uh, for this fight. And we've seen, you know, if he gets touched as well, he could possibly go down. Um, I do like the Allen side here. Um, and we don't have many props uh, actually available for this fight, but over two and a half at even money, I don't mind that. Uh, Allen via decision at plus one. That's plus 165 right now. That's kind of where I'm leaning. I think if he plays it similar to the Puna fight, he'll get his hand raised no matter what. Um, that's the way to stay safest and uh, stay away from that big power of Alvi, which I believe he still has here. So I'm going Allen, Allen decision plus 165. How are you seeing this one? Yeah, I mean, you know me. I'm a sucker for losing money on Sam Alvi. Uh, and two years ago, I would have bet Alvi in this spot pretty big because, look, I think Alvi for his career has largely been overrated. He fights ugly, but he's found a style of fighting that kind of works around his limitations, you know, athletically. But the problem is, look, I just watched Alvi lose striking fights to Julia Marquez and Wellington Sherman back to back. Like, those are just fights that Alvi wouldn't lose at his peak, you know? He would, like, he would kill those guys coming into the pocket. There, There is just, I, I would have, been, and I bet him in both of those fights. Uh, Terman, especially Terman, is a very poor striker. For Terman to be able to, you know, get off on his on his game like that much on the feet, I, I I can't take a shot at Alvi here. Like even though I want to, you know, Hawes was a bit more tempting just because at least Hawes, you know, you have historical fragility with him. You know, you touch Hawes and the guy kind of keels over and dies. But in this fight, I don't know. I kind of think Al or Brendan Allen. Look, I don't think Allen can really grapple him here. Like, maybe he can get a takedown or two, but I don't think he can hold him there. Jump I'm pretty on his sure back or something. Yeah, yeah. Alvi's a good grappler. I mean, he is a good defensive grappler. So, but I think I don't think Allen needs to do that much. Like, if I'm Henry Hoof, I'm saying just keep him for 15 minutes. Yeah, literally, exactly. just, 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 literally, that's that's all he needs to do, really. So, if Allen fights smart, it's a very easy fight for him. Um, yeah, I mean, Alvi could knock him out, I guess. But, you know, I think the day, I think Alvi's power is clearly waning. It's been a long time since he's really hurt somebody standing. You know, the guy's, what is he, 42 now? He is not young. Yeah. You know, he's up there. So I think it's a pretty easy fight for Allen. Um, would I lay the chalk? No. What I do kind of like, I like the over here. Uh, the over is at about minus 110, or the goes distance is about minus 110. Um, is historically durable. Allen isn't a huge hitter. Uh, I don't mind a shot at Allen by decision at plus 160 either, to be completely honest. But yeah, I mean, Allen should cruise here. I can't really see Alvi presenting any issues. 
I like it. I like it. All right. Let's keep this train moving on because this is the fight that I believe both of us are most excited about. We got Shavkat Rachmanov coming in at minus 235, plus 190 the return on Carlson Harris. Now, Shavkat was around that minus 280-ish line for a little while, and then the love started coming in on uh, Carlson, and deservedly so, right? Uh, it's funny because uh, there wasn't a lot of hype on Shavkat coming into the UFC, right? Uh, uh, the yeah. the uh, Cowboy Oliveira fight, uh, you know, interesting fight there. Uh, obviously, he was able to uh, find that finish uh, in that fight. Uh, and then the next fight against Michelle Prezeris will give him, you know, some due here. And the fact that he was the first person to ever finish Michelle Prezeris uh, and the way that he did was very uh, impressive. But this is a decent case that both those guys were over, you know, way past their prime, or at least uh, for uh, Cowboy Oliveira past his prime. Prezeris, obviously 39 years old. That, that was probably the most comical fight to see, uh, optically speaking. Uh, oh, I think even DC was, <laughs> yeah, DC so was bad. even DC was even commenting. He goes, "It would look like me versus Volkov if I stayed at heavyweight," and he's absolutely right, man. The, the fucking size difference there was absolutely insane. But here he's going up against a big, another big guy in Carlson Harris, who kind of likes to fight similarly to him. Uh, in terms of the striking, I give a slight advantage to Shavkat as I feel he's a little bit cleaner compared to the, you know, falling over his shot style of Carlson Harris. When he throws his uh, strikes, it's more so to try to knock your head off. Uh, he, he's more of a pot shotter than anything rather than yeah. throwing in combinations. But he gets his best work done when he can get those uh, those that double underhook, uh, takedown, trip takedown. That's how he usually uh, gets his grappling going. And then from there, he either finds submissions, ground and pound, whatever it may be. I hope we get to see these guys tussle, right? Like, I, I want them to grapple. I want them to get into that clinch exchange. I want this fight to hit the mat and see who comes out on top. Um, I think Shavkat's grappling is legit. I think it's good. His, his jiu-jitsu is good. But something that when, when we first talked about this fight, we DM'd about it. Something that you brought up is it seems like Shavkat gives up those double underhooks a little bit too easily. We saw in the Preserves fight. We saw in the Cowboy fight. You can see it in other regional tape as well. And that's Carlston's go-to move. Gotta believe he saw that on tape and has been preparing for it, but how prepared can he be? Because I feel like in those exchanges, Carson Harris will likely be the stronger guy, and then he might be able to dictate where this fight ends up going. But I just don't know if Carlson, you know, can can keep it up long enough to 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 keep Shafkat in trouble here. I think Shafkat has a better gas tank. Uh, I know we saw Carlson win a five-round decision over Carl Booth on the regional scene, but they saying Carl Booth. This is Shafkat, who I believe still has some solid potential and good things to do inside the UFC. Uh, but it is also very concerning when you see Carlson, when he gets hit cleanly on the chin, he does not react well. And I feel if Shafkat can find those shots, he will have tremendous success in the striking range. We saw Christian Aguilera hurt um, uh, Carlson a couple times before he ultimately got dragged to the ground and submitted. Uh, and Pekasanga and I couldn't really get anything going there. He obviously got TKO'd in that fight, but I feel like Shavkat could find those shots a little bit better here. And then even on the ground, you know, Carlson might have early success, but as the fight starts to wear on, uh, I think that we'll see Shavkat start to take over. So a couple things that I'm actually looking at here. The over one and a half at minus 140 is not a bad look in my opinion, especially if they start grappling. I think we're going to get a lot of uh, cases of just stalemating where both guys are trying to jockey for a position or try to find uh, a better entry to a submission attempt or whatever it may be. Minus 140 on the over one and a half. Don't mind that. I still do though think that Shaftcat will get the finish, but a little bit later on in this fight. I think he'll eventually clip Carlson Harris and either find a club and solve opportunity or continue to pound him out and get that ground and pound finish. 
Shavcat inside the distance is plus 100. Uh, Shavcat in round three is currently sitting at plus 1,000. Uh, those are the two props that kind of intrigue me the most. But if I were to lay any action, like official money action on this fight, it would likely be the over one and a half at minus 140. Uh, I favor Shavcat. Don't think the odds should be as wide as they are, but I still think he ends up getting his hand raised in this spot. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, so I bet Carlson Harris here. Uh, I think, look, I think if you take the two of them, I am not, I think I'm more bullish on the ceiling of Shavkat than I am on the ceiling of Harris. You know, I've had, I, I kind of felt like coming into his UFC stint, whenever he was betting Christian Aguilera, that like people were really overestimating Harris's wrestling because of how body lock reliant it is. And because, you know, obviously, you know, to hit, body lock takedowns, eventually that's going to stop happening. You're going to fight guys that can pummel for underhooks. But, you know, it just so happens that in this fight, he's fighting a guy in Chopcat, like you touched on. Gives up double unders very easy. And I know he stayed up against Oliveira and Pizarris, but getting takedowns from the body lock is all about use of weight. And neither Oliveira or Pizarris really knew how to land takedowns or those trips from that position, whereas Harris excels at it. Um, I guess... What interests me most, though, so, like, I think Harris, if he can close distance, and it's a big if, if Harris can close distance, I think he can have big success grappling here. Uh, it would not surprise me to see Harris just get to the body lock, take him down and dominate, or just kind of control him in the clinch for large swaths of this fight. Um, at range is interesting, right? Because I think, and this is why I kind of think I'm more bullish on Shavkat long-term. Look, Shavkat's a much more polished boxer. That's pretty clear. You know, he's got much faster hands. His shots are a lot straighter. He can actually counter and set stuff up. Whereas Harris is much more like a berserker who's just going to try to come forward and throw shit at you. Uh, and that could get him into trouble here. But I think Harris might have issues closing the distance. But once he does, I actually don't really like Shavkat's, you know, defense either, you know, to be honest. You know, he he's very good at measuring distance. But when guys tend to get inside, his head is there to be crushed. You know, we saw it happen to him regionally a couple times. And Harris, you know... As janky and weird as he's striking looks like, he does hit hard. You know, he hits pretty hard in there. Um, and so I do agree with you. I favor Shavkat on the feet because I think getting inside will be tough. But I actually think Harris can have some success on the feet. In particular, I found it, I think it's interesting because Shavkat's always the biggest guy in all of his fights. And Harris is pretty close to the same size as him here, which which can work both ways for both guys, right? Harris isn't used to having to close, having to close distance against somebody, and Shavkat isn't used to having somebody who can reach him. So it's interesting. I think there's opportunities for Harris to have some success on the feet, though I think Shavkat has a strong chance to knock him out there. Um, but to me, if it just comes down to the fact that I think Harris is going to be able to get Shavkat to the fence, and on the fence, you look, maybe Shavkat's improved there, but we've seen him give up double-unders over and over to now to a guy who is excellent out of the body lock. Um, I'm not saying I outright favor Harris. I think it's a very close fight. I might even lean Shavkat just because I do think Shavkat's chance for knocking Harris out is a bit higher. Uh, decent chance he ices him on the way in. But I do think if this goes the distance, I feel pretty good about a Harris win, to be honest. You know, Because if it goes the distance, it means he's not getting stuck at range. And I think he's going to win most of the minutes of the grappling here. Uh, so I have a bet on Harris on the money line. I actually kind of think, you know, Harris by decision at plus 700 is pretty interesting. Uh, you know, that's he's seven and three in decisions in his career, and, and Shavkat's never been to a decision before. So I like the Harris by decision plus 700. I also don't really mind the over, though, again, if Harris can't close distance, that could be pretty, pretty sweaty. Uh, but yeah, I like Carlson Harris here. I think it's an interesting fight. I like it. 
always can rely on my guy, John, to make a solid case for a solid underdog. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Co-main event time. Uh, they absolutely should have put Shavkat and Harris in the co-main oh, event spot. Yeah. Come on, I, I don't. Dude, I mean, look at this. I mean, look at this card. Like, how how yeah. did Dawadu and Trezano end up on the undercard? I know. It <laughs> makes absolutely no. I would have been fine with the Brian Battle Gore yeah. event, considering the the Ultimate Fighter ramifications. But we here we have uh, Punahali Soriano going up against Nick Nick Maximov as the co-main event here. Uh, minus one ninety on Puna, plus one sixty the return on Maximov and. Man, it's an interesting fight because there's still so much that we need to know about Maximov against legitimate competition. Uh, Puna, you know, he's been looking okay. You know, a lot of his win success has been coming from getting knockouts and dropping these guys and, and finishing them early. When he starts to get extended like he did in that Brendan Allen fight, that's where he starts coming up short and he can get picked apart from range. But luckily for him, Nick Maximov is nothing special on the feet either. He needs to get the fight to the ground to find any success. And he makes no bones about it in any of his fights. All of his fights usually hit the ground within the first minute of the fight. Cody Brundage fight, you know, all of his regional fights. Uh, the the Oscar Kota fight, I believe the kid's name was, on the uh, contender series when he took him on uh, at heavyweight and did a good job of getting him to the ground. But Puna does have a wrestling background that could come in handy in this fight. And then from there, I think that he should be able to do some decent work against Maximov. Does he knock out Maximov? I, I, I'm not 100% sold that he will, right? I, I think Maximov, from what I've seen, seems durable. But has he been punched by a guy like Puna Holly Soriano? That, that's that's remained to be seen yet. And uh, Puna could absolutely send him into orbit if he lands cleanly enough here. But what I think is going to actually end up happening is we're going to get a lot of clinching. We're going to get a lot of possible takedown attempts here from Maximov. He's going to close the distance very irresponsibly, which could leave him to get knocked out, in my opinion. But if he does close that distance, he'll get his hands around Puna, there's going to be a lot of jockeying for position to, you know, either defend a takedown or get the takedown. But I think Puna will do a good enough job in terms of defending them. And then on the feet, I think Puna can touch him up. I just don't know if he can knock him out, right? We can't put so much stock in standing knockouts, uh, especially at this level. And Maximov, again, still young in the sport. His durability has got to be crisp at this point in time. Nothing has really shown me that he has a, a bad chin. Uh, but like I keep saying here, we haven't seen him get cracked by a guy like Puna Hale Soriano. So wh when I made my breakdown for this uh, late last week, I ended up going with Soriano via decision, just defending takedowns and landing enough sh shots on the feet to to win it, optically speaking. Uh, plus 350 is what that line is currently now. Uh, the reasoning for that also for me is... Uh, with defending all the takedowns that he's going to be defending, maybe the power starts to get off of his uh, strikes here. I think that's where he starts to, you know, land shots, but not maybe to the fullest extent where he's able to knock out a guy like Nick Maximov here. So uh, Puna, uh, I think he's the side um, prop. I'm still trying to figure out, but I'm going to stick with the decision prop here at plus 350. And even the uh, over one and a half at minus 160, a little bit juice, but I do expect those grappling exchanges to, uh, allow this fight to go over that one and a half round mark. So, uh, uh, Puna, Puna decision. What about you? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating fight. Like, I really want to like Maximoff, but the questions are so significant here. In particular, the questions about what Puna's ground game is like defensively and, you know, what Maximoff striking is like. You know, what I will say for Maximoff is I do think he does a pretty good job of avoiding damage to close the distance. Um, 
And I do think, and I noticed, uh, I saw Liam Pick's fights mentioned this the other day, and I looked at it, and he was 100% right. You know, Puna does leave some openings where you can kind of change levels on him for a single leg with that, you know, lead right that he likes to throw. Um, and I think that'll be there for Maximoff. But I, I just don't know what happens once that happens, you know? You know what I mean? Like, once he gets Puna down, then what? Or once he tries to clinch up. You know, we saw Todorovic try to clinch Puna up and have really no success with it at all. Uh, we saw Pickett briefly try to and end up on his back himself. Uh, just not many guys, you know, Allen tried to pick him up, couldn't really. Now, that doesn't mean Maximov can't. Obviously, Maximov's a specialist, and that's kind of his game. So maybe he can get that position. Um, and I will say the fact that Maximov was able to outgrapple Brundage, who's fought at 205, and who threw William Knight around, actually was kind of impressive to me. Uh, and this is obviously back at 185 here. But, yeah, I don't know. I think it's weird because like, there are things in Puna's game I just don't like. But obviously, he's the more seasoned striker. Obviously, he's the more dangerous finisher on the feet. I hate the fact that he only throws headshots and doesn't go to the body. It makes avoiding those – dude, it makes it so – you saw Allen around in that fight realize yeah. he could just go high guard and not get and not get hit by anything, you know? Um, it, it just makes it so easy to close distance on him. Um, but I do think Puna has a lot of finish equity early in this fight, you know? Um, and I think it could be a pretty dicey first round. But – I sort of think if Puna can't get Maximov out of there, you know, Maximov pushes a kind of fight that is absolutely exhausting. You know, he is not going to be the guy that, like, tries to take downs and then it's like, all right, we'll bang it out, you know? He's just going to keep coming and coming and coming. And if he doesn't get killed, we've seen Puna's gas tank go redline very quickly. Um, I think the fight probably turns pretty dramatically here later in the fight. I think what's pretty interesting to me I kind of like, you know, I don't want to take any big overarching props here, but I kind of like Maximov's submission. It's about plus 350. I think that's an interesting shot. Um, just because, I mean, a Maximov win probably looks like him dominating the grappling, and if that's the case, he's probably going to find the sub at some point, you know. Um, and on the other side, I think taking Poon, maybe throwing in the Poon around 1-2, I think he had like, plus 230 and plus 500 for Puna in round one, Puna in round two. I think those are interesting ways to play it. But again, I don't have a lot of passion here because it's like we don't know how Maximov's going to react against somebody as dangerous as Puna, and we don't know how Puna's going to react to Maximov. So all we do know is questions will be answered. Yeah, exactly. And I'd rather not have my money on a fight yeah. where questions will be answered as well. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm glad that you went with that side as well. All right. Main event coming right up. Uh, shout out to the 100 plus live viewers that we currently have. If you guys haven't already, hit that like and subscribe below and then show my guy John some love as well for his podcast, which is the Club and Sub Podcast. Link is in the description below. Give them uh, a subscribe over there. They go live every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern time. All right, main event here. We got Jack Romanson going up against Sean Strickland. Minus 210 on Strickland, plus 175, the return on Jack Hermanson. Now, uh, this is the first time we're going to see Sean Strickland go up against a, a grapple-heavy fighter or at least somebody with a solid wrestling base uh, in the middleweight division, right? We, I think the last guy that we saw him uh, really have to deal with a, a guy with a grapple-heavy base was Court McGee several fights ago who went 0 of 11 on takedowns. Uh, and if you want to go even further than that, the Kamaru Usman fight, I believe Kamaru went 2 of 7 or 2 of 8 on takedown attempts there. But... Had a lot of trouble holding uh, Sean Strickland down, but obviously was still able to get his hand raised via decision that night just off of activity alone. But I honestly see this fight playing out similar to the Marvin Vittori fight for Jack Hermanson, where Jack might land a takedown or two, but I do think that we'll see Sean uh, kind of just break in with his output and volume, just staying in his face, 
keeping him on his back foot and just letting the strikes go. Um, I know there is a little bit of an unknown in regards to how Strickland deals with grapplers uh, at this 185 pound range, but I'm not hundred percent sold that Jack is going to be the guy that just lays and preys on him or just holds him down for 25 plus minutes or even submits him. right? Sean Strickland has that black belt in his back pocket. Hopefully that's enough to keep him out of any crazy trouble in this fight. And then once this fight's on the feet, I think, uh, excuse me, I think Hermanson gets absolutely drowned with, with the output and volume that Sean Strickland's going to be putting on him. Uh, I, I really like Strickland in this spot, man. He's been a little bit, uh, I know he's been a little bit chalky in his last several fights, but he just seems like one of those guys in that minus 200 to minus 250 range that if you continuously back him more often than not, he should be able to cash for you. And I feel like this is one of those spots where he'll do that as well. Again, slight unknown with the grapple heavy approach that Jack will come with, but I think that uh, uh, Sean Strickland is a much better version of Marvin Vittori, and I think that he should be able to get back to his feet and uh, just, again, uh, just outstrike. That That is the main game plan here for Sean Strickland, and that's what we've seen every single time he comes out. He doesn't go for takedowns. He doesn't go for submissions. He wants to outpoint you and hit you more in the face than you hit him in the face. And you got to believe that he's going to be training, you know, steadily with the, with the uh, takedown defense, right? There's... Uh, uh, I'm sure he, well, not sure. I know for a fact he's been working with Iwan Kutilaba day in and day out, working that grappling, working that wrestling, and not getting taken down. Um, how it plays out in the feet that's, or, or in the actual fight, that remains to be seen. But I feel confident enough in his preparations uh, and his coaches that they will be ready for that. Because if this is a 25-minute kickboxing fight and it's on the feet for the most part, you got to favor the output and the volume of Strickland here. So uh, I like Strickland. I actually like the overs in this one as well. Um, Strickland, uh, as good of a striker as he is, uh, doesn't really uh, have many knockouts on his record as of late. Um, I'd be surprised if he gets Hermanson out of there, but over four and a half, minus 130, don't mind that. Fight goes to decision, plus 100, don't mind that. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, the specific prop here for Strickland. Strickland via decision plus 150. I don't mind that spot either. But uh, I even like Strickland at this minus 200 spot myself. How about yourself? Yeah, I like Jack here, to be honest. Uh, my So I, I look at the fight, and my initial thought before I taped it was kind of like, I think Strickland's probably just going to box him up like pretty easily. But, you know, I went back, and first of all, I actually think the stand – like, don't get me wrong. If they box in the pocket, Strickland's going to box him up. <laughs> like, <laughs> obviously, but like – I actually think Jack's striking is probably a bit on the underrated side. Uh, and, you know, we haven't really seen uh, Sean have to deal with a proactive cap kicker in the past yet. And Strick and Hermanson actually throws a ton of cap kicks. Uh, given how Strickland basically stands straight in the air and there's a boxing-based approach, I think there's going to be openings for those cap kicks there. And I also just think in general, look, Jack has got five rounds twice. He's landed 150 and 120 significant strikes. Um, the guy's going to keep a high pace unless he's getting dropped and hurt consistently. I kind of think he'll keep the margins at least relatively close. Um, and then there's the grappling question, right? You know, this is obviously the first time at 185 pounds Strickland's fighting a grappling threat. Uh, and look, I don't think Hermanson is necessarily – obviously he's not the wrestler that a Kamaru Usman is, right? But, you know, we saw Alex Garcia take Strickland down three times, um, and that was at 170 pounds. Uh, we also saw in that fight Strickland kind of accept guard when he was taken down there. And so now he's here facing Hermanson. Uh, first of all, I think Jack's not the best wrestler ever, but he does have good timing. He's very good at, you know, timing his takedowns well. And I think that can be problematic for Strickland because Strickland tends to stand very high. His stance is just very, very tall, which makes sprawling 
very difficult if someone times up their entries right. So I actually think Jack can get takedowns here. Uh, the real question is going to be what has Strickland learned, from, in my mind anyway, from playing off his bat. Because Jack, people forget it, but like Jack Romanson has a great top game. Uh, it, it wasn't really on display in the Vittori fight because Vittori is an excellent grappler himself and is just flat out a better and more physical grappler. And he was actually able to you know kind of turn most of Jack's takedowns into top time for himself. But I think if Jack gets on top here, he's going to be able to control him and actually do some work from that position. Um, which is to say, I don't think Strickland can work up. You know, he might be able to. Uh, I, I just, you know, I look at, sorry, it's my dog. <laughs> sorry. I, I, I just look at this fight and I think, yes, Strickland is the better striker, but like the margins, Jack can keep the margins close here. And I think he can have wrestling success. You know, that's just, I think I favor Strickland ever so slightly, like fifty-five percent here. But I think there's I think there's going to be openings for Hermanson to win this fight. Um, and I just trust the level of competition he's fought. Like if you look at Strickland since he came back at one eighty-five, he fought Jack Marshman, Christoph Jaka, who can't beat anybody that fights with any volume. Uriah <laughs> Hall is pretty much the exact same story here, and now he's fighting Hermanson, who actually has a strong minute-winning style. So it's going to be interesting. He hasn't fought a minute winner in the past. We have a big question about his grappling that we need to have answered 185 pounds. Um, yeah, I but I think Hermanson can do some work here. I also agree with you. I like the over. I'd be pretty surprised. You know, look, Vittoria and Strick and Hermanson threw about 300 strikes at each other and no one got hurt or finished there. Uh, I'd be a little surprised to see Jack get finished. And I think Strickland, what he has shown on the mat, his guard retention is good enough that I'd be a bit surprised if he got subbed or finished from top position. Uh, so I like the over. I like goes the distance, and I really like Strickland by, or Hermanson by decision here. I like it. I like it. One thing I will say about the somewhat unknown that we have about Strickland's takedown defense at 185 pounds, it looked great at 170, right? Like he had yeah, the right techniques, right? He's digging under hooks. He's fighting the hands, pushing the head down, getting out of these bad positions, and then getting back to his game, which is striking. So hopefully that translates to 185 pounds. He's not, it's not like he's a small 185er either, right? He's a, no, he's no. a solid guy in a solid frame for that size. I'm sure he was cutting off a leg to try to make 170 to begin with. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if Jack has a chops to ground him there and uh keep him on the ground as well all right let's get into everybody's favorite segment which is the three best prop bets uh let me just get this going for you guys so oh uh as i always do i don't know why i always forget that i always announce my ultimate weigh-in show guest <laughs> before we actually get into the prop bets here so uh joining me for uh the ultimate weigh-in show tomorrow which will be going down at 3 p.m eastern uh we're going with uh, one of my boys. God damn, come on. One second. Uh, StreamYard is just fucking up on me here. One second. Uh, there we go. Okay. Uh, joining me tomorrow is going to be my guy, AJ DeVito from MMA Experts. Uh, he's been on my channel a couple of times. Solid dude. Knows what the hell he's talking about. Uh, and his channel over there is absolutely exploding as well. So make sure you guys go show him some love. Uh, we'll be going live tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's roughly about an hour after the weigh-ins actually wrap up. And we'll break down the fights for you guys one last time and cover anything that went down uh, at the weigh-ins. Any fights that pulled out, anybody that misses weight. That's where we get to give you guys our final thoughts. All right, let's move on to the three best prop bets that we got for you guys. And I'll kick things off as always. First and foremost, I like Marquez by decision, plus 800, Danilo Marquez. I think if he's able to get those, uh, the better of the grappling exchanges, which I think is way liver than plus 325 indicates, uh, he could go out there and just uh, grapple 
uh, Almeida into the ground, controlling for the majority of that fight and win via decision. Plus 800, I think that line is just absolutely whack. So we'll see how that goes down. Next up, I got the Rachmanov and Harris over one and a half. Again, I think that we'll see a, a, a good majority of this fight uh, take place in that clinch battle uh, with either guy trying to jockey for position, either trying to defend a takedown or get a takedown of their own. And I think they'll be able to kind of nullify their jujitsu at least long enough for this over one and a half to hit. And then I think Rachmanov will start to take over later and eventually find a finish of his own. But we just need seven and a half minutes to get out of there first. And then lastly, I'm going to go with Bondair inside the distance at plus 100. There was one prop that I wanted to pick that both John and uh, Cody are on. So I didn't want to kind of regurgitate what they're saying. So I ended up going with Bondair inside the distance, which I honestly do like at plus 100. I think he gets uh, Gordon out of there within the first two rounds or so, taking him to the ground, uh, slicing through his guard, and then eventually finding a finish, whether it's by sub or ground and pound. John, you're up, brother. Yes, sir. All right, first up, we got Brian Battle via decision here. Uh, bottom line is I think if Battle doesn't get nuked, he should win minutes start to finish fairly easily. I don't think Battle's a huge hitter, so I don't think he's really likely to finish Gore on the feet. Um, could he finish him on the mat? I suppose, but I think the majority of Battle's win equity is going to be a decision here. And so at 20% implied, when I have Battle about 60%, I think you're getting a lot of value. Next up, we got Jack Hermanson by decision. As I mentioned, I honestly think he's going to be able to get takedowns against Strickland here. I think he's going to be able to keep it more competitive on the feet than most people realize. And I think Strickland's grapp grappling is good enough to not get finished on the mat. Uh, so I don't, I'd be a little surprised if Jack finished him, but if the grappling goes the way I have a feeling it might, I think this is going to get a grindy decision for Jack Hermanson. I think plus 450 is a gift. And last up, we got Mark Andre Barrio, the power bar, taking on Chidi <laughs> Jokwani. This is probably like after battle, my favorite bet of the night on the money line. But in terms of a prop here, I like Barrio by decision. The bottom line is Barrio has the tools to win minutes pretty much start to finish here. But he also doesn't have many tools to finish. He's unlikely to sub Chidi, and he's not a huge hitter. Uh, I think decision should be closer to about Barrio minus 125, which, you know, again, I think the money line is great, but this is probably my favorite prop on the board. Barrio by decision plus 200. Love it. I love it. And I will say that burial decision prop is the one that I wanted to add as well. But I'm like, let me just try to give you guys a little bit more angles so we're not saying the same shit over and over again. All right, let's get to uh, Cody's props as well, which he sent me about 20 minutes before we went live here. First and foremost, he likes a Rosa by decision at plus 160. I believe he... Uh, believes that we'll see a rosa kind of dance around uh steven pearson and just touch him up from range um next he has barrio by decision as well at plus 200 and lastly trezano via decision at plus 300 uh kind of surprised that he's going against our canadian there but uh if he sees some value then i can't blame him either uh obviously if you guys want to hear cody stakes as well you guys already know where to fight him dog or pass podcast i believe they usually drop their episodes tuesdays or wednesdays as well so if you want to hear his thoughts and as to why he went with those props you guys will find it right there all right john uh Glad to get this one in the can. We got eight straight events coming up next week. It is actually a pay-per-view event. So we'll, uh, me and Cody are going to be over on the All-Star breaking down UFC 271 for you guys. But we're right back on my channel for February 19th, I believe, is that card uh, between... Uh, I could be off on this. I believe it's Fizia versus Dos Anjos. That's going to be the next fight night card. So, yeah, uh, yeah uh, just giving That's you the platform one. here. Yeah, giving you the platform here uh, to say anything you want on the way out. And then I'll wrap this thing up.
Yeah, guys, just follow me on Twitter, MMA Fox. I'm always down to chat. Whether you want to DM me, whatever. I love talking fights. Uh, every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, our show, Club and Sub Podcast. We'll be doing it next week, next week for UFC 271 and joined by the great Mike's MMA picks, between myself and Luke. So, yeah, check it out, guys. You can see it below. Lock, thanks for having me on. No worries, my man. Uh, yeah, appreciate everybody checking out the show. All 100-plus live viewers that showed up for the show. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then obviously go out there and uh, subscribe to the Club and Sub podcast. Link is in the description below as well. All right, appreciate everybody joining us. We will see you guys next week for UFC 271, and I'll see you guys tomorrow for the Ultimate Wayne Show, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern with my guy, AJ DeVito. Good luck on your bets, and war, Mark andre Barrio. Let's fucking go. Go, Mab. <laughs>